warm church. This is a very hospitable church, and we feel very much at home here. Very happy to be with you all today. And that is a wonderful music program that you have. Wow, really unbelievable stuff. Um, hearing these songs kind of reminds uh, Marcia and me of, uh, we, we enjoy the Hebrew songs. And uh, uh, in Hebrew, of course, uh, uh, in Israel, we sing a lot of scripture songs. Since God wrote the Bible, most of the Bible, in the Hebrew language, we sing a lot of songs directly from, uh, from the scripture. And um, we just came through the holidays. Uh, Marcia and I very much missed being in Israel during the Sukkot holidays. Sukkot is called sometimes in English, sometimes they say Sukkot, uh, but sometimes people call it the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths, one of those. And we just came through that and there's a lot of good music associated with that. But it's still on my mind very much and it occurs to me that uh, the part of the reason the Jewish festivals are important to us is that Jesus celebrated the Jewish festivals. Uh, for example, we see in John 7 that uh, Jesus went to Jerusalem. Uh, he didn't go with his brothers. He was invited by his brothers to go to Jerusalem. He said no, but then he went down secretly later on. So if you would turn to John 7, let's read just a little bit to get a little context to Jesus going eventually to the Festival of Tabernacles. John 7, verse 1. We'll read a couple of verses, and then we'll drop down to 37. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea, because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish Festival of Tabernacles was near, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go, to and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. We could read more, but in short, Jesus does not go at that time. Jesus goes down quietly later on. And by the time we get to verse 37, if you'll skip over there, we read on the last and most important day of the festival. It's a one-week feast. It's a one-week holiday. So on the last and the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. Jesus is referring to a thirst on the last day of the holiday. And I'm perfectly convinced that in English we, we think, well, yeah, people, people get thirsty. Okay, Sukkot is at a very special time. It is the end of the dry season. Israel doesn't get rain between April and October until today. So you have a long dry season. Plus, this is compounded by the fact that Jerusalem has never really had a lot of water, good water resources. There were in those days enough, uh, enough water for the 70,000 or so residents of Jerusalem, but that number would triple when the pilgrims came in, like Jesus, like his family, like other Galileans, when they would come into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Now you have over 200,000 people in Jerusalem and you do not have enough water from the Gihon Spring to supply them all with water. So Jesus is saying, are you thirsty? Well, the merchants of Jerusalem continue to be very, very bright and creative people, and they knew that they had a number of cisterns around. Cisterns don't give the very best water. 
They're just holes dug in rock, usually in the limestone of that area. Uh, and um, water would run into this limestone hole and it would fill it up and that's what they would serve to the tourists toward the end of the year and that's what there was to drink for all of them. Which once again, at the, the beginning of the dry season, that's not a bad way to go because you've got good fresh water. All the muck and dirt and, and trash that had been swept down from the fields, yes, use your imagination as to just how, how bad it was, it had sunk to the bottom. But then later on in the year, that water gets murkier and muckier as they go farther and farther down. Here at the end of the dry season, Jesus turns to this group in Jerusalem and says, Are you thirsty? I'm sure they were thinking, well, yes, I had to eat my water with a fork and knife today. Yes, we're thirsty. Well, Jesus doesn't leave it at that. Jesus goes on to develop this idea of thirst. And we have the idea of thirst developed very much uh, in, in the scripture, David tells uh, the Lord that as the deer pants for water, his soul pants for thee. He looks for God in a dry and thirsty land. So we see thirst often used as an illustration of the way that we thirst for God. And I think this is Jesus' reference here. So we've looked at the physical settings. We've looked at the, the meteorology of the, of the season. But I want us to look a little bit more to see just how thirsty these Jerusalemites were when Jesus talked to them. During the Feast of Sukkot, Jewish people until today read the scroll of Ecclesiastes. All of the, the main holidays have a certain scroll that, that one reads. At Purim, one reads the scroll of Esther. We read the scroll of Ecclesiastes at Sukkot, which just passed a few weeks ago. So we're still thinking about that, and I think that we would be wise to consider what they had just read and to think, was there not only a physical thirst, perhaps there was a certain spiritual thirst. Because what does, what does Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? Well, I think we ought to look at it. I think we ought to turn to Ecclesiastes. It's just before Song of Psalms, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, some people say, and just after the book of Proverbs. Solomon wrote those three books. This is very beautiful in the King James. I'm not reading it in the King James, but we're going to make some reference to the King James because a lot of this is poetry and the King James just handles those, those areas so very well. Uh, well. I'm going to read this from the HCSB, the Hardcore Southern Baptist Version, HCSB. That's what we're reading today. This was given to me by the International Mission Board, so I'm using this. If we read verses 1 through 11, that should suffice. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility. Doesn't King James handle that better? Vanity of vanities. It's just, it, it works better, but futility is a good translation. It is futile, is what Solomon is telling us. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and sets, panting, it returns to its place where it rises. 
gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place, and there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear with hearing. What has been again will be, and what has been done again will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can anyone say, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before, and of those who come after, there will be no remembrance to them also. All right, Brother Solomon, you've got my attention, but if you keep this up for 11 chapters, I don't know if I'm going to get to chapter 12. I mean, I think that Brother Solomon here, he's got our attention, but he's got to get us to the good news. I mean, it's all futile. Well, what would he know? What would he know about this? He was only the, only, only the wealthiest man in the history of creation. Having three, if, if, if we look at the work that scholars have done in terms of the wealthiest people in the history of the world, Solomon is number one, and he has three times the wealth of number two. A very, very wealthy man. And what he's saying all this is futile. It's all silliness. It's all nonsense. It's a mist. It disappears before you. Well, was he a bright fellow? All this study that he's done, all this wisdom that he's been that he that, that he's got, he says this is this is futile. This is nothing. This stuff disappears before you. I teach at a high school, and I recently did this particular sermon during Sukkot at the high school and I said fellas you want to be popular with the girls here's a guy that that succeeded in that area had 700 wives and 300 girlfriends can you imagine him having to kiss all those girls at night good night that'd be quite an effort he had to go to and yet he's saying all of this popularity that I'm enjoying. I've got the Queen of Sheba coming to visit me, coming to sit at my feet and learn from me. It's all futile. It's all for naught. It all disappears. Several years ago, John Hopkins, an outstanding medical school in Maryland, uh, did a survey of 8,000 college students all across the nation and found out wanted to know what they wanted more than any other thing. Only about 16% of them said they want a lot of money. 16% were majoring in pre-wealth. The rest of them said, or a high percentage of them were saying, we want to find something meaningful in our lives. More than make money. People wanted to find meaning in their life. People wanted to invest themselves in something meaningful. Solomon says this is a challenge. Solomon says if you pursue the things of this earth, you will not succeed. Because he tells us that life is fleeting. And he tells us that life is disappointing. Here the most famous man of his time stands over a kingdom 
larger than the present kingdom of Israel, larger than his father David had. Solomon stands in a superpower of a kingdom of the ancient world, and the kingdom of Israel was not always a superpower. But at this particular time, the large empires of Mesopotamia and Egypt were a little weaker. Israel expanded, and he stood over more territory and more powerful, more power even than his father David. And he said, it's all a mist. It's a fog. It'll burn up when the sun comes up. Fame, wealth, and money, all this he had. And yet he says, all of this stuff will abandon you. It will not make you happy. You have to find something else. You have to find something of substance. This is all vanity, says the preacher. In one verse, he uses this word translated vanity or futility in the, the translation that we read. In Hebrew, it is hevel. I know my students hate it when I start saying Hebrew words, but God wrote 80% of the Bible in Hebrew. It's an important language to us. Hevel, he tells us. Hevel havalim. Vanity of vanities. It just, it's just all for nothing. And this is what we're putting our time into. Now, I don't think Solomon wants us to totally think life is for nothing. The things that we do in serving the Lord, these things last forever. But the things that we do in satisfying our endless, infinite wants, these all simply disappear. Solomon looks and he says uh, in verse 3, What advantage does man have for all of his work under the sun? Work is pointless under the sun. Under the sun, Solomon, is, is, is an expression that Solomon is using to mean earthly things, carnal things, things of this earth. All this stuff under the sun. Solomon tells us that it is worthless. It is vanity. He uses this particular expression more than it's used anywhere else in the Bible. Hevel, uselessness, futility, mist. He uses this all the time to describe that this is what your work is worth under the sun. And, and, and truly, materially, materially speaking, it is true. We put so much effort into ourselves, trying to enrich ourselves, trying to make ourselves popular, trying to make ourselves memorable. And yet, we disappear, just as Solomon says, Eventually, we will be a distant memory at a Thanksgiving dinner. That is our life. I know that Solomon tells us that we need not be putting time into trying to satisfy ourselves with whatever the most recent thing is that we're trying to satisfy ourselves with, because it will pass away just as we will. To support his point, Solomon uses a number of examples from nature. Uh, in uh, verse chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, he answers his own question. What is the advantage? He says there is no advantage. And we look in verse 4, and he says the earth is here. But all of the other stuff, the generations, they pass, and they are not remembered. 
Many of us worry about what people think of us. Solomon's got a good word for those of us that worry about what people think of us. Give it a few years. Nobody's going to remember you at all. Generations pass away. You're not going to be, you're not going to be remembered. A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth lasts forever. The sun, Solomon writes, it rises and it sets. It just goes around and around. It's like making the bed. You make the bed in the morning, it just messes it up again at night. You have to do it again the next day. All the guys are saying, that's the way I've always felt about it. I don't think we've ever really gotten our wives on board with that one, but that is the way we feel about it. It's just a cycle. It just goes on and on. The wind blowing toward the south, and then it turns around again north. It's a cycle. It just goes on and on. There is no end to it. The rivers in verse 7. Solomon tells us, All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. The place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. This sense of nothing being accomplished, it's reinforced here. You don't get anything done working under the sun. Solomon tells us that life is fleeting. It disappears before you. But he shares another point with us. In verses 8 through 11, Solomon tells us that life is disappointing. He tells us this for, for, for three basic reasons. There is no satisfaction under the sun, he tells us. There's nothing new under the sun, and no one is remembered under the sun. Solomon says in verse 8, no satisfaction under the sun. He states that there's nothing that's really, really very fulfilling. Oh, we, we, we fill our lives full of gimmicks and, 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 and the, latest, uh, the latest iPhone or the, the, a, a, a new car. Or we, we find something and it gives us a, a short-term feel-good moment. I, um, I'm from Alabama, but I haven't lived in Alabama in, um, well, I graduated from high school and then I joined the Navy. And then I went to then I went to University of Alabama and graduated, and then I moved away, and I haven't been I haven't lived here since the 70s, um, and yet that University of Alabama education really had an impact on me, and uh, during more recent years, I met up with a friend of mine from Mobile, Alabama, who worked in Bethlehem, and he and I sat and watched football all night long every Saturday night. I called it the football session. My wife called it the all-night idolatry session. <laughs> David Platt has, a, uh, David Platt has a, a sermon on his own YouTube called Sports Idolatry. Marcia puts it on a loop going around my house every August. Okay, she's going on and on and on. Well, this, this particular fellow from Mobile that I watched the games with, he said one night, he said, um, hey, I've got some volunteers from Georgia. They're going to help us for a few weeks. You want to run down? So we were in between games, so it was 2 a.m. He said, you want to run down to the airport with me and pick up some volunteers? I said, yeah, sure. We'll go pick up some volunteers. And this was a volunteer group from up around Lake Burton, which I don't know where that is, but I, 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 I do know that uh, Nick Saban has a place up on Lake Burton. And this lady worked for Georgia Power, 
And she had met Miss Sabin. And she told Miss Sabin, um, I'm going to meet some missionaries over in Israel that are just really big Alabama fans. And if you would have Coach Sabin send a hat or sign his autograph or something. And so she came and she gave us stuff from Nick Saban, okay? Went down to the airport, we didn't know about it, it was a big, it was a big surprise to us. And now we, I've carried it back, you know, and I see my Nick Saban signed hat every day, and it occurs to me, I drop dead tomorrow, Nick Saban does not care. He does not know me. <laughs> uh, as much as I might love all things crimson, it doesn't love me back. That stuff didn't care about me. That's under the sun. Okay. It's not, it's of this world. It will lead you astray. And someday that hat will crumble. Okay. It's a mist. It disappears. There is no satisfaction under the sun. Mick Jagger did not know he is quoting Solomon when he says, I can't get no satisfaction. It had been written millennia before. And yet it's true. All the stuff under the sun will leave us. When Marcia and I returned to the States, a little less than a year ago, there was a, a car salesman down in Auburn, Alabama, literally Auburn, Alabama, the little town of Auburn, uh, who was giving good deals to people coming off the mission field. And he had advertised, and I drove down there, and, and uh, uh, I got, it, it wasn't a new car, but it was new to me, but I got a pretty crimson car. You can get a good deal on a crimson car in Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> I got myself, and, and, and it, it was a pretty car. Like I said, not a new car, but, but people would pull up beside me at a gas station and just look over and say, that's a pretty car. You know, I, I, just, I just loved my pretty car. And I told Marsha, one of these days I'm going to scratch it and I'm going to be so upset. And sure enough, that day came. Parked my car in Knoxville, Tennessee, and some rascal hit my car. And, and then he drove off. It was okay. He called me a few minutes later and said, Dad, what you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm playing with your daughter on your porch. She said, you're going to need a new tail light. All these things that you just love, they will abandon you. They will not stick with you. Solomon tells us in verse 11, there is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who come later still. The things that we do under the sun will disappear. Marcia and I knew people in Israel uh, that, were, um, that were victims of terrorism. Uh, we knew people that, um, that were killed. We knew people that were injured due to the danger. And occasionally it occurred to me when we said goodbye, we might not come back, and I always made myself feel better knowing that my preacher up there in Kentucky, he had preached me a real pretty sermon and make me sound better than I ever was. And yet I know that, uh, that, that they would forget us. 
Some of them forget us by the time we, they get some Mexican buffet and they get the salsa on their plate, they'll forget us. Um, we disappear. We're not here for the long term. And yet those things that we do for the Lord, those are the things that last forever. We all have a God-shaped hole in us. And we try to fill it. And we try to fill it with a national championship. We try to fill it with a new car. We try to fill it with new clothes. We try to fill it with the latest iPhone. We, we look for, for, for gimmicks and baubles and things like that to fill it. And we find no satisfaction. C.S. Lewis tells us that uh, when we cannot find happiness on this earth, it's because we were meant for something else. Israelis and Arabs have tried to fill it with real estate. The Israelis have worked hard to build their country, and, it, and, and the work that they've done is, is impressive. Uh, they, they, they have a strong economy. They, they have innovations in, in medicine uh, and, and technology and agriculture. Israel leads the world in many of these areas. They have succeeded in building a country. Uh, there was an Israeli uh, poet that uh, wrote about 100 years ago, Israel will have become a country when you can leave $100 in the middle of Tel Aviv and it not be there the next day when you come back. Well, by that standard, they're a country. By that standard, they're an empire now. They have succeeded in becoming a country. Uh, the Palestinians, every time they have had the chance to govern themselves, that they have had a few chances, they have ended up disappointed with their Palestinian government. It's simply not the things of this earth that are going to satisfy. You, through your offerings, through your work, have sent missionaries over to Israel, to Palestine, and around the world to say, all those things that you are pursuing, it will not bring you joy. It will not bring you satisfaction. You want peace? You get that through the Prince of Peace. It's not what Abu Mazen and Bibi Netanyahu are going to cook up for you. That's not going to bring you peace. How long, is those, how long have those guys been at it? They're not going to bring you peace when you ask the Lord to enter your life and fill that God-shaped hole of yours. That's when you will have peace. So thank you for the prayers that you've offered, for the going that you've done, and for the giving that you've done to, for me and Marsha, and the many, many missionaries that remain on the field, sharing the good news. The good news that your thirst can be quenched. It can be quenched with something real, with something permanent. Not with Hevel Havalim, not with the vanity of vanities, not with the mist that's going to just disappear. It can be filled with meaning. But even beyond the work done around the world, there's work done here locally to be done. And I think your church does a good job of investing yourselves here locally.
But here locally, and I don't know your area intimately, but I'm confident that there is a boy who's tried some drugs to give himself that sense of satisfaction, to fill that emptiness. And he's made some mistakes. And he's going to try some harder drugs. You need to get the word to him that that is not going to satisfy. He'll continue to want more and more until the end. You need to get that word to him. There's a girl, no doubt, around here who thought a boy would fill that void in her. And he has left her in a bad situation. And she's made a mistake. And she's considering going to a clinic where she might make another mistake. There's missions to be done around the world. There's missions to be done here. That boy will not fill that void. He will not fill that emptiness. But the Lord will. And we have to get that word out. We have to turn to a lost world seeking after every little bit of pleasure it can find and finding quickly. It's meaningless. It's a mist. And it'll be gone before the sun's up. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes 12. Because Solomon spends this entire book telling us how meaningful it is. But he does end it on a high note, and we need to focus on that. He tells us in verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 13, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, Fear God and keep his commands, because this is all humanity. Life is not under the sun. Life is in the sun, S-O-N. And any other life is not worth living. Any other life burns up. Any other life is not satisfying. You want long-term? You want eternal satisfaction? They don't have the drug that'll do it. Your team cannot win enough championships. The new gimmick coming out is going to give you a very temporary pleasure. Life in the Son of God is what's going to give you the genuine satisfaction that you seek. And that is your missionary's word to the world. And that preaches in Jerusalem, and that preaches in Oxford. You won't find it any other way. Perhaps some of you have sought to find satisfaction in different ways. Perhaps some of you are prepared to say to yourself today, this isn't working. I cannot find the satisfaction that I seek. Perhaps you would be willing 
to turn to the Lord today, to come to him and say, I give up. My efforts under the sun have not been fruitful. I'm ready to let you, Lord. I want to live life in the Son of God. Perhaps you'll come. As we have the invitational hymn, perhaps you'll come. I'll be at the front to meet you if you'll come.